Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, thanks for being with us on this Thursday, Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Morgan Ortega is going to be joining us from the State Department. She is a spokesperson there, extremely bright. You remember, she was a Fox News contributor. Now she works with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Ian Bremmer. Talk about bright. He's the other definition. President and founder of the Eurasia Group, G Zero uh, Media. He's got a real sense of what's happening globally. And after all, our stories are local, but they're also international because we begin with the pandemic. The President of the United States did not get to see his space launch. Man travel back after nine years. We we're going to go to the SpaceX combined with NASA. Was going to go back up to the space station. We don't have to pay go to Kazakhstan to pay the Russians to get us up there anymore. That's delayed till Saturday. So he is back in action. He's got a lot on his plate today, as he's had, especially uh, since March when this pandemic really kicked in. The economy grinded down. 2.1 million people filed for unemployment claims. That brings to 40 million those who have lost their jobs when we shut down the country. Now we're beginning to open it up. It was at 2.8, so 2.1 is still horrific. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Pompeo has to certify every year to Congress whether or not Hong Kong maintains its autonomy. And here we wake up to the Chinese with a very heavy hand. This is a big deal, and the secretary is to be uh, complimented for doing what he's done. Uh, There you go. That is John Huntsman, former ambassador to China, now running to be governor again of Utah. Hong Kong no more. The American-Chinese relationships hanging by a thread. We'll bring you the latest in these perilous times. Number two. Twitter decided for the first time ever to fact check one of President Trump's tweets. I wondered if you thought that the Twitter may have made the wrong decision here. We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. Facebook shouldn't be the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Uh, that is Mark Zuckerberg responding to Twitter's move to fact check the president. Trump versus Twitter. How one, how one so-called fact check could change social media forever thanks to an executive order that could be signed today, and perhaps it should be changed forever. Number one. Now to the terrible toll of the coronavirus that we are waking up to headlines. It took just 16 weeks for the number of Americans killed by the pandemic to reach 100,000. Keep in mind 100,000 people, 100,000 family and friends are mourning today. That's absolutely true. Pandemic milestone no one wanted to cross. 100,000 dead. Yet there is more hope than horror this Thursday. We'll bring you some of the cautious optimism, plus a major request from the hardest hit state, and that is New York. So we know this. 100,000. I never thought we'd get there. We are there. Total deaths in New York alone, 29,000. In places like Missouri, 697. So why the dramatic difference? That's just the way it happened. People flood into New York from Europe after they got infected by the Chinese. The Chinese flood into the West. Uh, California thought they'd be overrun. They weren't. But things aren't that bad in proportion to the size of our country. Western European countries, in terms of case to fatality ratio, the U.S. is around 5.9. That, according to Italian by Johns Hopkins. Meanwhile, Spain, Sweden, and Netherlands, and the U.K., Italy, and France, and Belgium have a mortality rate 
well into double digits with Belgium's being at 16.2%. So it doesn't make it easy for the 100,000 who lost their lives and those struggling uh, to keep their lives. But just to keep it in perspective, we are a huge country that can't really be judged against the others. Do not believe any numbers coming out of Russia by nature of the government and never believe what's coming out of China, period. We'll talk about that shortly again. So where are we at now? We're at a situation where we're reopening quickly. Mostly 11 states where, uh, where most of the COVID deaths have come to, and they are the slowest to reopen. It seems like Maryland is starting to pick up pace. Illinois is starting to pick up pace. New York City, still not even phase one. Long Island, way too slow, but they're actually opening up. If you want the economy to stand up, don't wait for the federal government handout. You got to do something for yourself. Now, as I mentioned, 2.1 million unemployment claims that is hard to swallow, but it's less than last week and less than two weeks ago. Larry Kudlow, cut two. The six-month-ahead measure for jobs in the economy is really bullish, really, really bullish. So people know, I think, that we are in transition and we are pivoting now towards reopening. People will return to work. Businesses will have a chance to get going again. And uh, we're going to see a very strong third and fourth quarter, very strong. Well, everyone hopes so, and I, I hope everyone hopes so. As Politico said, uh, using a, a Harvard professor who worked for President Obama, an economist, uh, there's a chance that we really could be in uh, hyperspeed recovery uh, by the fall. I think it's going to happen. We could not be more uh, artificially repressed than we are right now, well, with due respect for the 100,000 plus. Meanwhile, Andrew Cuomo went to meet with the president yesterday. You know, he's governor of New York. Uh, there's no argument about it. The, the biggest toll taken on New York, mostly New York City, almost all of it New York City, uh, with a mayor and governor who don't speak. It has not helped. Their messages have been divergent to be kind, but he wants a handout. He got $9 billion already in New York. We know that. And he also talked about not wanting to do politics at the same time out of the other side of his mouth, calling Rick Scott, senator, former governor of Florida, calling uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, majority leader, a liar and unpatriotic. He wants infrastructure projects financed, rail tunnels for Hudson Yards, subways redone and extended on 2nd Avenue, an air train over to Kennedy Airport or LaGuardia. I'm not really sure. But what he doesn't say is he got $9.1 million in direct aid already. What he doesn't say is he got almost 400,000 N95 masks and almost... 860, 870 million surgical masks, gloves to the tune of 350,000. I'm talking about the Javits Center being converted into a military hospital along with a military hospital ship, face shields. He's gotten a lot. He pretends like he's got nothing and he's owed it all. Cut five. And it was a good conversation. You know, the president is from New York, so he has a context for all the things we're talking about. Uh, I think the president also acknowledges and realizes that uh, New York, we're very uh, aggressive about getting these projects done and getting them done on time. This is not the typical government project. We actually, if he gives us the green light, this is not going to be years of discussion. Uh, I have a shovel in the trunk of my car. We'll start this afternoon, right? So he wants money for projects. And he wants money to pay his bills, but he's not reopening the state. He says he's doing it uh, the responsible way. But his seven point criteria is keeping Staten Island hostage, Manhattan on its back, Long Island barely limping along. At least give us a chance to help you fill your budget gap. But instead, he's blaming everybody else. 
Listen to him. First he says, I'm not playing politics, and then he plays politics. Cut six. Senator McConnell, stopping blue state bailouts. Senator Scott, we're supposed to go bail them out? That's not right. This is really an ugly, ugly sentiment. It is an un-American response. We're still the United States of America. Those words meant something. Rick Scott, livid, uh, let everybody know, not as only he's, is he patriotic, but he says that these governors are paying illegals. They have incredibly high pension responsibilities. I love the people that work for pensions. I love the cops and the firefighters. But you go cut these deals that other states couldn't to create these bills and try to tax people to death. So they leave your state. You have less people to tax. The taxes go up more. And now you want us to pay the bill. Cut seven. Not American. You know what's un-American is to keep borrowing so much money that your kids and your grandkids will have all this debt uh, because we have we're not fiscally responsible. I got elected when Governor Cuomo got elected back at the end of 2010. Uh, both of our states had financial problems. He took a totally different tack. He's borrowed money every year. He doesn't pay down debt. I dropped uh, about one third of our state debt. We cut taxes. Every state has different responsibilities. I know he doesn't have mass transit, doesn't have a dense city, but he's got a bigger state with more people. And now he's senator there and he wants to make sure that people get their fiscal house in order. You don't use this opportunity to pay bills that you shouldn't be responsible for. But I do think the states are going to need some type of revenue. I do think that every side agrees to it. But there has to be liability protection for sure. And there's got to be an end to the unemployment $600 payment because there's going to be no incentive for Americans to go back to work. I wish people would be driven internally to do that, but a lot aren't. And if you don't open up this country quick, you're going to lose almost every gym, so many small businesses. You're not even going to realize how many uh, strip malls you have until you see how many are boarded up. Lastly, I don't want to take too much time away from Morgan. Trump versus Twitter. Twitter came out of nowhere and decided that the president's saying that mail-out ballot will lead to fraud, uh, mail-in ballots will lead to fraud everywhere and make the election a farce. And I'm just paraphrasing. Let Twitter go in and actually edit his text and put in uh, next to his tweet uh, attachments to a Washington Post and CNN story that contradicts him. Really? Game on. You really want to do that? You had were exempt from lawsuits and legal and you were protected legally because you were a host for people to sound off on social media. When you start getting into the editorial business, it is game on, protection's gone. So when you delete my tweet, maybe I'm going to sue you. When you shadow ban me, maybe I'll prove it and haul your butt right into court. And if I feel as though you're censoring me, game on. That's the, what the executive order could do uh, as early as today. The Wall Street Journal got a look at the draft, and that's basically what they said. I believe that Twitter is going to regret this big time. Dana Perino, with timing that's impeccable, saw what Twitter did and came out, Mark Zuckerberg did, Facebook CEO, of course, owns Instagram too, cut 20. Twitter decided for the first time ever to fact check one of President Trump's tweets. I wondered if you thought that the Twitter may have made the wrong decision here. We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. You know, I, I just believe strongly that uh, that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. I'm not saying it's easy. Because 
if someone puts something online and it's defamatory or it has a threat, like I'm going to kill everyone to blow up this building, they have, a, they have a, an obligation to act. When people put stuff up that you might not think is correct, like when Joe Biden decides to tweet something out and say, Donald Trump is responsible for at least 50% of the deaths due to the coronavirus. You are responsible now, Jack Dorsey, as CEO, to put your team together to counter that argument and put an attachment that says he's not. He acted quickly and actually cut it in half. Can you possibly go down that rabbit hole and survive and breathe? No. And out of pressure, you now put attachments on a Chinese official's tweet who blamed us for the coronavirus. Good. A little late. You had to be pressured to do it. Get ready to do that constantly. When Vladimir Putin's apparatchiks decide to put something out, saying America has ruined the Middle East, you're going to put an attachment that says differently from the Washington Examiner? Don't think so. Major thing happened yesterday. The Secretary of State came out and said that basically we lost Hong Kong. Morgan Ortegas knows this world, fights for this country, and she's also a State Department spokesperson. She'll be joining us to put it all in perspective on what we can do. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Chinese government is determined in implementing the one country, two systems policy, safeguarding national sovereignty, security and development interests, and opposing external interference in Hong Kong affairs. If there is anyone bent on harming China's interests, China will have to take all necessary measures to fight back. And that's where we're at with today. That was Zhao Lijian. Uh, he's a Chinese official uh, talking about the America, his response to Mike Pompeo, who came out and basically said uh, that the State Department has officially announced they no longer consider Hong Kong to have significant autonomy after they just passed this executive order. Morgan Ortegas joins us from the State Department. Morgan, uh, what's hey, changed in Hong Great to see you, hear from you. What's changed now in the State Department's view with Hong Kong? 
Brian, for that question. So we are required by law at the State Department uh, to certify to the Congress uh, the level of, uh, of autonomy um, from Hong, that Hong Kong has from China. So we have delayed the report. Last year, we certified in March of 2019. We, we certified Hong Kong's autonomy from China. And a lot has happened since then. And we make this decision, you know, this is a tough decision to make. This is a serious decision. This uh, uh, this decision obviously um, shows that a lot of billions of dollars of American investment from uh, the government, from the business community, all of this is at risk. But there's no way that Secretary Mike Pompeo could have gone to the Congress with a straight face and continued to certify Hong Kong's autonomy from China. Uh, you look at the extradition law that was passed last year in Hong Kong, uh, that law would allow for Hong Kong citizens to uh, be arbitrarily sent back to the mainland, to China, uh, for, for any, sort of, any sort of allegation or reason. And that sparked uh, a year-long of protests. That sparked thousands of peace-loving Hong Kongers going to the street. Um, and what we, saw yeah. was, what we saw was China, China saw that, that was a threat. So, so, Morgan, it was a threat, mm-hmm. but they didn't act with great, uh, with great strength. They almost were bystanders. They had warnings, but they didn't act. Now, why do you think they're acting when, on the surface, they're at their weakest? So I think that, that that's a great question, Brian. I think that um, COVID-19 and, and 2020 is really exposing the Chinese Communist Party for who they really are to the world We've been warning at the State Department for a long time about the empty promises from the Chinese Communist Party, uh, whether it's to the people of Hong Kong, whether it's their promises to the world on the South China Sea, whether it's their promises to the United States about intellectual property theft and, and a number of things. You know, this is what has worked for the Chinese Communist Party for the last 40 years. This is their playbook. Uh, they know that the that the appeal and the enticement of doing business in, in China uh, seems to, 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 to overrule uh, many Western nations' uh, desire for democracy and for freedom and, and for other things. So in this administration, we have made it a principle of our foreign policy around the world to talk about the world, to see the world for how it is, not for how we right. want it to be. But they're going to crack down now and they're going to destroy another financial uh, uh, financial asset to their world, to their uh, nation's economy when they can least yeah. afford it if they're going to crack down. So people are going to stop investing. The president says by Friday he's going to come up with something. What actually specifically can we do? In the 80s, Tiananmen Square, we watched the massacre, did almost nothing. What's going to change now? They're more powerful. You know, that's such a really, really good point, Brian. And I think it's up to it's up to the world. It's up to uh... this episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. People who love democracy, people who love freedom. You know, there's a lot of talk by our friends and allies around the world who wring their hands about what is the demise of the world order, the Western world order, you know, the post-World War II order. Lots of hand-wringing about that. And this is a moment of clarity for all countries. Uh, to put their money where their mouth is, 
so to speak. This is a moment to be transparent, to be credible. Uh, the National People's Congress, that's, that's uh, from China, obviously overnight passed what they call the National Security Legislation on Hong Kong. They're basically calling these freedom-loving protesters terrorists, and they're using yes. this legislation to bypass all of the commitments that they made in 1997 to Hong Kong and to the rest of the world. So this is a moment that will really go down for, in history. This is, this is a clarity point where everybody has to decide, are we going to turn and look the other way because we want Hong Kong to remain as it has been, or are we going to stand up and call the world for exactly as we see it, as Secretary Mike Pompeo gotcha. said. Morgan, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Give my best to the Secretary. When we come back, we'll talk to Ian Bremmer about this and so much more. I hope we're willing to stand up. The president is going to do something as soon as Friday. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The reality is China's on a rampage. They're, what they're doing in Hong Kong right now is, is just horrible. They've completely destroyed the autonomy of Hong Kong, which Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declared today that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous. And they're, they've arrested and jailed a million Uyghurs. Um, and the tyranny that exists in China has come to hurt us here at home. The reason we're locked down in our homes is because of Chinese communist tyranny. And that is Mark Thiessen. Uh he is a, a terror expert, former chief speechwriter for George W. Bush. He is also Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Ian Bremmer is president and founder of the Eurasia Group and G-Zero Media. You can follow him at Ian Bremmer, and if you're smart, you'll follow him. Ian, uh, very few people have more of a global perspective than you. Uh, what is China up to? Why at a time in which they look the weakest are they trying to be the most uh, aggressive, especially on Hong well, Kong? You're right that uh, Xi Jinping is looking weaker right now, and uh, important to recognize that uh, this plays extremely well inside mainland China. Chinese in China think Hong Kong is wealthy, uppity, uh, mistreats, and looks down on mainland Chinese doesn't appreciate how well they're doing, demanding political autonomy they don't deserve, and they're fundamentally part of China. So this move by Xi Jinping plays extremely well at home, and it's been um, a gaping wound for them domestically that Hong Kong has continued to engage in all sorts of anti-Chinese demonstrations, anti-government demonstrations, and the Chinese government in Beijing has had limited tools to redress it. They're dealing with both of those things at the same time now. They know their relationship with the U.S. is lousy and getting worse, irrespective of what they do in Hong Kong. And the economic importance of Hong Kong today is a lot less for mainland China than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, never mind in 1997 when you had the handover uh, from the U.K. So... Is this a time in which they want to lose that revenue? If they crack down and if global commerce pulls out, global bomb, uh, banking pulls out, are they, will, are they willing to absorb that? And I, you understand this, these figures much more than I ever will. Can they afford to lose the revenue that Hong Kong brings? You know, first of all, I think they're taking a bet, and I think they're right about this that the U.S. government is going to put sanctions on some mid-level Chinese officials that are involved in this decision. 
We may put some limitations. We may put mainland China export tariffs and apply them to Hong Kong, too. But they would bet that you won't see the United States revoke Hong Kong special status, even though it's well within our rights to do so. And, and, and given what Secretary of State Pompeo wrote and tweeted yesterday, you would expect us to. They won't because American banks and other American businesses in Hong Kong will be hurt badly if we take that special status away. And that's going to hurt Hong Kong Chinese a lot more than it's going to hurt the Chinese government. So they're betting we're not going to do that. That's the first point. And by the way, Brian, I think they're right. I think in the next few months, I don't actually expect that the U.S. government will take that step. I think we're going to have a lot of special interest lobbying very heavily, uh, the Trump administration and Republicans in Congress not to get that done. They're important uh, funders for those folks. Um, secondly, you've got to understand that today Hong Kong is about 2.5% of total Chinese GDP. During the 1997 wow. handover, handover, it was more than 15%. So if you ask me, if push comes to shove, is the Chinese government aware that this could be a significant cost in terms of capital inflows and they're going to have to absorb it, given the growing financial centers in Shenzhen and Shanghai, the answer is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the one, one thing you and I can both agree on, a Chinese government's not stupid. They're not unaware and they're not and they're not particularly irrational. So they, they do understand this stuff. What I think we got to do, Ian, and I know this is seen from your hymn sheet, I believe, is we have to show our allies we have their back. If they have the courage to stand up to China, starting with Australia. They said we want an investigation. They said you better stop and start acting like India. And they said we will not. We're going to deny you iron ore. And again, we're going to start making you punish you with trade. We have to supplement what they won't. We have to voice their uh, our approval because of the strength they're showing, especially our histories between these nations. And that might embolden other countries where Germany spoke up and blamed China. We saw this recently. I think this is a tipping point right now. Don't you? Of course I do, Brian. I mean, you're, you're so right that you're speaking for my hymn sheet, which is that, you know, pretty much everyone in power today, Dems and Republicans, agree. I mean, this is one of the very few bipartisan issues in foreign policy. that The Chinese um, are, have been running rampant uh, over uh, not, not paying attention to international rules, and we need to do something about it. And there's a, there's a whole host of grievances and they're not completely shared. The Dems focus more on the Uyghurs and human rights, and the Republicans focus more on national security. But we all agree there's a problem. Here's the issue, is that America first really isn't something that aligns well with our allies. And if you're going to fight, if you're going to bring the fight to Beijing, the second largest economy in the world, and a technological superpower, very much as capable in technology as the Americans are, and much more than our allies, and you need to make sure that your allies are with you. And, and I think one of the failings of the Trump administration has been a more transactional approach to alliances. And even if you take that in isolation and say the allies are, are getting too much from us and we need to change these institutions, these relationships, and they need to be paying attention to who has more power, I get it. But in the context where our top priority is China, we need to make sure that we're aligned with our allies. And the Australians, for example, we should have been coordinating that effort with them. The Australians went by themselves and called for an investigation. They should have been by themselves. They should have been with the Americans. 
and frankly, so should even the though Germans, we called for it so too, though. UK. But we did. I know. I'm, but we did but call we for it. Yeah. I know. I know we call for you... it. I'm just saying that. Why wouldn't we do it together? Yeah. It's like when you know. Right. You remember when Trump announced the ban on the Europeans uh, coming to the United States, and they found out about it on television. It was perfectly. It was the right policy for Trump to close off those people coming in. And by the way, I think the Europeans would have understood that. Why, why wouldn't we announce it together? Well, I mean, I know, I know that Trump himself yeah. doesn't like to have to do multilateral diplomacy, but that's what you have a secretary of state for. He doesn't have to pick up the phone and do it all himself. No, I, I 100% agree. There's got to be checks and balances uh, with people like uh, you've got to farm out some division of responsibility. Hey, Mr. President, I understand you want me to implement this. You gotta give, me, give me an hour. I've got to make 15 phone calls. That's it. Yeah. I, I yeah, totally. Beforehand. I don't think it's really much more complicated than that. Uh, it doesn't even have to be from the president. He might. They might be a little insulted if it came from an undersecretary. I get that, but you could work the phones and let people understand that. Maybe learn out more. So, as we pass a hundred thousand uh, deaths with the coronavirus, with this pandemic, we have America begin to open, and a lot of these states that are opening, they're not getting any more. Like Vermont has zero. And the ones that are opening up aren't necessarily seeing spikes anywhere like Florida, a little bit in Alabama, uh, Texas, up and down. So we're beginning to open up again. Ian, when the story is written about the pandemic, will they say the lockdown was the right thing, the only thing to do? Or was the or do you believe that Sweden had the right model? Uh, No, Sweden did not have the right model. Um, I mean, the Swedish numbers of deaths are vastly greater than anything we're seeing uh, in the Nordics, which are the right comparisons to make. And also keep in mind that the Swedes actually listen to authority and Swedish government tells them to do something, they all do it. It's not like the, you know, the, the, the free-spirited individualist Americans. They have a much better health care system than we do. They spend a hell of a lot on it, too. Um, and they don't have the obesity. They don't have the pre-existing conditions, the hypertension, the type 2 diabetes. If we had tried to do the Swedish model, we would have been a lot more trouble. And, and one more point uh, to recognize is that Swedish expectations for GDP growth, minus 6.8% this year, actually about the same as the other Nordics. So they're not even getting economic benefit from it because the people still behave economically um, the way they feel they should, uh, given these threats. And so, you know, we can have governors that reopen the economy. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to go back to restaurants, even if it's legal. I I think that the United States, the the, jury is going to come back on the U.S. Number one, almost half of the people that have died in the U.S. have been in assisted living facilities. We have very badly not taken care of those people. And that is true at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level. My God. I mean, you know, you look and you see 50, 60, 70 percent in some states, the people that died in Massachusetts and Ohio and Washington state were in these assisted living facilities. So we really fell down there and we really fell down on getting early testing up and running. Our test kits didn't work. But economically, we actually really acted well. And I will tell you, even my Democratic friends, all of them have been so, so positive about Jay Powell and the Fed and everything he's done. You cannot find a major dem that knows anything about the economics that thinks that, that we've fallen down there. And they generally think that the initial Trump administration, together with uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress, um, on the fiscal side, they've generally been pretty positive about that, too. I mean, you've got to keep doing it. Uh, but I mean, in the teeth of this crisis, with twenty, with forty million people putting in, uh, putting in unemployment claims, the U.S. so far has responded much better than most other governments around the world. 
So, uh, Ian, with your with your knowledge of the economy, the world economy, and knowing that we just put 2.1 million people with dry, uh, jobless claims now, and we're probably a few weeks away from another rescue package, we would think. Um, do you believe that we'll start seeing a recovery this summer? Uh, and is it as as one Harvard professor, former Obama economist, said, uh, it could really start uh, the economy could really start growing rapidly this fall? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you're going to see uh, an incredible number of people coming back to work because it's from such an incredibly low base. I mean, you know, 40 million people uh, putting in unemployment um, and, and uh, you know, in the course of three months, we've never seen that before. So clearly a lot of those people are coming back to work um, as the economy starts to open. But I, I also want to be clear that despite that and despite reasonable market performance, the average American is going to be feeling pretty rough in the third quarter. You're still going to have double-digit unemployment. So the trajectory will be very positive for a short period of time. But the, but the overall, if you want to say, how does the American economy look? We're probably looking at a 6 to 8% total contraction over the course of all of 2020. And I don't think you can, uh, I don't think you can wash that away with a good third quarter. Right. Ian, are this, this controversy... Uh, that some see with the blue states opening up slower, New York still not opened up, uh, New Jersey not opened up, I think a few people are in phases. With them slower, do you see politics in this? Yeah, I do, and that's because the country is so damn divided, and because if you love Trump, you can't stand the blues, and if you love the Dems, you can't stand Trump, and that's much worse now than it was in 2016 or 10 years before that. I think that's going to grow. Uh, in this very divisive election cycle. Um, but I also keep in mind that part of the reason why uh, blue states want, want to keep locked down is because blue states have actually had the worst experience uh, in terms of the numbers of deaths and number of cases of coronavirus. And the reason red states want to open up uh, is because economically uh, they've taken a much bigger hit. Um, and so, I mean, these are it's not so much that this is just about Dems and Republicans. It's just that the nature of rural America versus urban America and where red and blue uh, voters happen to live are facing different parts of this coronavirus crisis. And it's not like you and I can talk about coronavirus and only talk about it in terms of the virus or only talk about it in terms of the economic contraction, and the loss of jobs. I mean, all of these things are affecting Americans very, very deeply. And unfortunately, the politics is making people think about it increasingly in one way or the other. And, and social media has absolutely made it worse. <laughs> uh, very interesting. You have this note in, in, in your newsletter about hydroxychloroquine. Could you tell us about uh, what, the, what Robert Lighthizer's deputy experienced and why so many people on the, in the Trump team were optimistic about hydroxychloroquine when combined with zinc? So apparently he had uh, coronavirus um, and took hydroxychloroquine and zinc, um, and, and, and people have referred to it inside the White House as a miracle cure. So, I mean, for whatever reason, they saw it, they believed it. Now, Trump said he was taking it preventatively, but we also know that Trump doesn't really trust the tests. And we also know that Trump has been exposed. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast. Like, subscribe, and share. ...to a number of people, both Bolsonaro and his team from Brazil, as well as people on Vice President Pence's team and people in the White House that have gotten coronavirus. And so, I mean, I, I think that what Trump was doing was not taking it preventively. He was taking it in case he actually had the virus and wasn't showing symptoms and thought that on balance it was a useful thing to do. Now, you've seen Dr. Fauci, the CDC, and others come out and say that they do not recommend taking this, and there are potential negative side effects that can come from it. Um, You know, I'm not a doctor. I have no position to opine on that. But it is interesting to see um, how this has played out uh, both externally, because, of course, again, in a very divisive situation, they're going after these guys really hard. Uh, he is uh, Ian Bremmer. Ian, uh, you never needed more than you are now. We need a global perspective inside our country because of this global pandemic has infa- uh, infected and affected 185 countries. Ian Bremmer uh, is the president and founder of Eurasia Group and G Zero Media. And Ian, if we want to get your newsletter, what do we do? You should go to g0media.com and check it out. And Brian, it's always good to be with you. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Go get him in. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Busy hour. You're next. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks for everyone who joined me on Instagram yesterday for our history talks. You can get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, on paperback with new material. For Father's Day, go to briankilmeade.com. It goes to my local bookstore, which is still not allowed to open yet, but it's still, I go in the back door. Rob uh, is listening on the Fox News Radio app in Westchester, New York. Hey, Rob. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Good. You want to comment on what Ian Bremmer was saying? Yeah, he said that the president should use more people and unilaterally have other countries help and so on and so forth. And in, yep. in, in, a, in a regular world, that sounds great. But he does it all himself because if he tells anybody anything, somebody makes 15 phone calls to get everybody ready, it'll be in the news hours before he has a chance to even announce it. And then the media will put a negative spin on it. That's why he does everything Maybe. himself because he doesn't but, know who to trust. The but, insulin prices, we heard nothing but, about this still came out. People probably didn't but, know about know, it. A good point, but, but, if you can't, but if you can't trust your undersecretary at State Department and Mike Pompeo, you're really in trouble. And that's the type of level. It's just little things. This is not a major thing. That's not why you don't get reelected. But he would, Macron finding out on television that no longer are French uh, citizens allowed to go creates panic at his airport and our airports. And the same thing with Germany and everything else. It was chaos. And maybe we could have avoided that chaos. And the same thing when he first got the job and said, I have a ban on X, Y, and Z countries. It was chaos everywhere where the thought was right. The execution was off because he counts on so little people. Uh, And I just thought that would have been easier. But we don't even remember that in the big picture. It was just an example. I do think we have to have Australia's back. 
any nation willing to stand up to China, we got to let them know we respect it and we will try to supplement anything they were doing. We'll do it better and with more integrity. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com and this way you could get uh, recaps of everything we're doing and order any of my books. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. In the 80s, in a 1972 interview, Jesse discussed recording albums in the heyday of AM radio's programming demands. To have to consider the fact that you're making a commercial product, have to consider the fact that uh, you have to fit in line with the company's image, have to consider the fact that you have to try and get your record played on AM radio, is an uh, almost incredible limitation on a person's music. And I really find it very uh, degrading, personally. Do you bend to the way they want you to play, or do you be true to your music, your art? You know, it's, it's so rough. Stay tuned to hear more history as it unfolds before your ears. It's the audio archives of Fox News Talk. Attention affiliates, the Brian Kilmeade Show will begin in six minutes. The Brian Kilmeade Show will begin in five minutes. Kill Me Show will begin in four minutes.
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have Chris Wallace just getting out of the shower. Congressman Will Hurd, the CIA guy, he'll be retiring soon. But man, he's got some impact, especially in Texas. How's the reopening going there? Just watching Kaylee McEnany on Fox News Channel. You're watching us on Fox Nation. Hopefully you're getting the stream as well as uh, you're hearing us on the local station. And by the way, if you ever have to travel, go get that radio.com app. You download it. You can hear us anytime, everywhere, wherever you go. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Pompeo has to certify every year to Congress whether or not Hong Kong maintains its autonomy. And here we wake up to the Chinese with a very heavy hand. This is a big deal, and the secretary is to be uh, complimented for doing what he's done. Wow, that is John Huntsman, former ambassador to China, ambassador to Russia, uh, former governor of Utah, wants to be the next governor of Utah, weighing in on Hong Kong no more. The American-Chinese relationship hanging by a thread. We'll bring you the latest on these perilous times. Number two. Twitter decided for the first time ever to fact check one of President Trump's tweets. I wondered if you thought that the Twitter may have made the wrong decision here. We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. Facebook shouldn't be the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Well, Mark Zuckerberg being above it all. Trump versus Twitter. How one so-called fact check could change social media forever. And perhaps it should. Number one. Now to the terrible toll of the coronavirus that we are waking up to headlines. It took just 16 weeks for the number of Americans killed by the pandemic to reach 100,000. Keep in mind 100,000 people, 100,000 family and friends are mourning today. Gail King on CBS. Pandemic milestone no one wanted to cross. 100,000 dead. Yet there is more hope than horror this morning. We'll bring you some of the cautious optimism, plus a major request from uh, the hardest hit state. And then there's this. The man. It's like a Hollywood movie. The myth. I have a life. Wow. America's original receptive voice. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Chris Wallace. Uh, I know what the hell that means. <laughs> Do you know what receptive voice so, means now? Uh, is this Hello? live? Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know the open was done. So I know what it means. I'm open. I'm open to all voices, all, uh, all attitudes. Yeah, but then you'd be the receptive ear or the receptive mind. You wouldn't be the receptive voice. I, we, we've but don't you like this. receiving it doesn't me? Ma- it's nonsensical. Know, but- it needs to change. Right. You talk about changing a couple of things. I remember when we first started, and I, I played your Anthony Fauci, we still have it in January, telling John Castamatidis, um, who, by the way, owns the station we're on right now on WABC, uh, saying on his show on the weekend, I don't, we don't have to worry about this virus. He said it again in February. And then in the beginning, it doesn't really help to wear a mask. Now he says mask saves lives. And then he says the second wave is going to be more uh, stronger than ever in the fall. And then he says this yesterday, cut one. And I often say, you know, we often talk about the possibility of a second wave or of an outbreak when you're reopening. Mm-hmm. We don't have to accept that as an inevitability. And particularly when people starting thinking about the fall. And I want people to really appreciate that. It could happen, but it is not inevitable. If we do the kinds of things that we're putting in place now, 
identification, isolation, and contact tracing, we can prevent this second wave that we're talking about. So I love the optimism. You know, that's me. But listen, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know why he does that? Because he's a receptive voice. He's open-minded, and he (laughs) heard (laughs) new facts. And so Anthony Fauci, the receptive voice. (laughs) So when I look at these numbers, and 100,000 deaths is stunning, right? When you look at the per capita of deaths, Western European countries, in terms of case to fatality ratio, the U.S. is at 5.9%, according to Hopkins. Meanwhile, Spain, Sweden, the Netherlands, U.K., Italy, France, and Belgium all are in double figures, with the highest being Belgium at 16.2%. So as we open up, we're also seeing that states that were slow to close and quick to open, like Ron DeSantis's Florida, they have fatalities rate 10 out of every 10,000. Texas, same deal, same formula, 5 out of every 100,000. And Idaho is the same. So... It's almost as if you wonder when they write about this, how to handle a pandemic, if we did the right thing, Chris. What do you think? Well, I mean, there there's differences in different states. I don't think see how you could have in New York's state where there is such density. There's so many people and such so closely packed together. I, I, do, you th- do you really? And they were hit so hard. I, I think you know, to not have social distance, not to have locked down would have been insane. Obviously, you know, Idaho is different than New York. And uh, and, and obviously, a, a one size fit all doesn't work and particularly doesn't work at a certain point. And, you know, I, I've got no problem with a, a state that doesn't have as many cases. Look, I'd like to have everybody go back to normal tomorrow if it were safe. And in some places, it seems to be safer than others. There are some states where it's on the increase. Alabama isn't looking so good. Georgia's not looking so good right now. Georgia's um, looking good. No, actually, Alabama's going to. No, they they've had an increase. I'm just looking at the at the stats uh, just this morning uh, that there that there is an increase in cases, not a decrease in cases in those states. I mean, you know, we can check the record, but I'm pretty sure. I'm right there. There are certainly a lot of places that have opened. Uh, Florida's one that it's doing that are doing well. And uh, you know, my feeling well, about it uh, is here, here's the head. Yeah, here's the headline: Georgia's latest coronavirus new cases up, but cause is not clear. CNN says a month after reopening, cause uh, cases continue slow and steady. So the question is: we're ne- Are you willing? And this is the question you got to ask yourself, Chris Wallace, and everyone at home. Are you willing to put up with a certain amount of risks in order to get your life back and your business alive? I'm getting emails from people in Staten Island and Long Island and New York City saying, enough. We understand it. Let us go. The criteria is way too strict. And if Governor Cuomo is not willing to take risks, just keep his hand out and say, give me more money. He's already got $9 billion. I don't think he could have one without the other. Well, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I understand both sides of the argument. I understand people and, and you know, who's to, make, who's to make the decision? Here's the problem. I mean, when you right. look, and I know you've talked about it, when you see what was going on on Memorial Day in land at Lake of the Ozarks or on some yep. of these beaches, I mean, that was horrifying. The, 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 ruins, and I know, ruins it for everybody. Right. But so so... You know, on the one hand, do I want I, I want to go back to normal? I don't I mean, I love <laughs> being with Lorraine and 
being uh, at, 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 out in the country and stuff. Uh, but I, you know, I'd like to go back to work. I'd like to go back to this office and be with my coworkers. Fox at this point says, you know, they're not ready to to reopen, and I've got to respect that. They're they're getting the best advice they can, and you know, you do really worry when you see people just ignoring all of the uh, all of the strictures. One of the other things I just don't understand is masks. I mean, everybody. Deborah Burks was on our show. Uh, Anthony Fauci. Everybody says wear masks, and that now seems to have become a political item. And the governor of North Dakota, a pretty Republican conservative state, Governor Burgum, said, why do we have to make masks into a polarized issue? If masks are going to allow us to go back and to be safer, then put on the damn mask. I don't understand why that should be a political issue. Uh, either do I. I think people are still a little befuddled that we were told don't wear a mask, not even don't wear a bandana. It doesn't really matter. And then those same people say you better wear it or else. So I think that's what most people come back with with me. But I, I tell you, I watched your show Sunday as usual. It's great. Uh, always, um, always making news and knowing that I had Kaylee McEnany coming on after your show Sunday and that you were kind of very critical of her for cracking down and telling the press what questions to ask because they just refused to ask any questions outside um, their own political agenda. You, uh, well, I'll let you say it. You were critical of her. Why? Well, there are two things. One was, and, and she really has misrepresented it. I don't want to get in a fight with Kayleigh McEnany. I think she's smart as the Dickens, and I think she could be a very effective press secretary, and I think sometimes she is. Uh, I, when when. The president comes in and he says, we need to open churches right away. And if, if, if governors won't, I will override them. And the political reporters, and specifically the one that she was referring to, because he had just asked the question, says, on what is the authority the president has to override governors? Because the best legal minds I've seen, he doesn't have the authority to override governors and say open churches. And instead of just answering, and she didn't answer what his authority was, because there wasn't any, and instead she said, it's it's odd being in a room with so many people who don't want to see churches open. So she was questioning their religious faith. They weren't asking about that. They were asking about what is his authority, legal authority, to override governors. And I think think that's uh, over the line myself. I don't, I think... You know, it's one thing to defend the president. It's one thing to advance his agenda. But to start questioning whether reporters, uh, what their faith is. I, I Look, if a, if a Democratic president and a Democratic press secretary did it, I would be, uh, you know, uh, calling a, a flag on that one, too. But did you see her mic drop moment, I guess, for lack of a better term, where she said, here's some of the questions you just refused to ask. You didn't like that either, right? You said if Sam, if you and Sam Donaldson we're in the yeah, which you know, I, we're in I, that press room. Well, You'd be insulted. Right? Here's the interesting thing: I got a lot of blowback, but the blowback was less about what I said and more about the press corps. And what they said was, and th- and and there's some truth to this. I actually I think there's some legitimacy to this. They said, you know, back in the days of Reagan, when and Lord knows I could be obnoxious and Sam Donaldson could be even more obnoxious. That uh, that you know we were trying to get facts. We weren't sitting there arguing and advocating against the president. And as you know, I've been on the record as saying that while I don't like what the president does to the press and saying that we're the enemy of the people and fake news and all of that, that I do think a lot of our colleagues in the press have gone too far and become advocates. Yeah. And, you know, I, while I don't like and I, I've called this out, I've made speeches to free press groups 
where the at the museum included, where I said, I think reporters cross the line and become advocates and players on the field instead of just trying to seek the answers. So to that degree, I don't think it excuses what Kayleigh McEnany did, but I, you know, I understand the argument by a lot of people who watch these press briefings that reporters aren't even handed in just seeking the facts. Now, do you, it's going to be your call. I'm going to make you produce it for a second. Do you want to hear uh, what Kaylee said about you? I don't, did she say, I, she, I know she answered, but did she actually say something about me? Uh, she, didn't name, she didn't name you specifically, but do you want to hear my question and answer? Sure, why not? Chris Wallace said on Sunday, quote, let me just say, Sam Donaldson and me in the Reagan White House, we were pretty tough on White House press secretaries. We never had our religious beliefs questioned or lectured to what we asked. I would have been pretty tough if I was there and heard that. Will you question the religious belief of, of the press? No, I never question the religious beliefs of the press. Many of our journalists are great men and women of faith and differing uh, faiths, whether it be the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith. What I was saying was I was asked 11 questions as to why churches would be allowed to reopen. It was a bit peculiar uh, to be asked these 11 questions in a row and for the onus and the focus solely to be on why churches are essential. I've never been asked why a liquor store was essential. All right, here's my response to that, okay? Okay. She, yep. she, that is not true. If you look, and I didn't look at all 11 questions, but if you look at the specific question that she was asked, the one, the one immediately before she said, I, I find it odd that I'm in a room with people who don't want churches to reopen. It had nothing to do with churches reopening. It had to do with under what authority can the president override governors? And that was the specific thing. And I thought... Mm. That she that she took it in a different line, and she didn't fess up to it when she answered your question. I'm a little disappointed in you that you didn't say, "Hey, that wasn't the <laughs> question that was asked." <laughs> How smart was I? I'm so proud of myself from reading instead of paraphrasing. Because if I paraphrased one word wrong, you would have killed me. I'm so proud of myself for reading you ex- exactly what you said. So no, you I did. can't give myself you, enough credit. In you this. did. Yeah. I, I will say I was watching when this went down, and I thought to myself. I, you know, I know people are going to find this odd. I don't want to get in fights. I really, I really don't. I mean, you know, I, you can argue whether I should have taken on Kaylee McEnany or not. And then I hear you and I think, oh, my God, she's going to attack me now. And then I'm going to have to get, get, you know, because you get blasted on Twitter. I don't know. Do you, you know, you, you, you push back sometimes on the president and, and this White House. Yeah, I do. And you, I'm sure you get yeah. blasted. On, uh, do you like that or do you, do you sit there and go, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't even well, done this? My- well, the president constantly goes up to me and goes, kill me, you're a six. He goes, sometimes you're with me, sometimes you're against me. I'll give you a 6.2. And he had, like, I think he does not mind. I don't think he's happy about it, but I, don't, I, don't, I think he knows I can't possibly agree on everything he says. And uh, I, I got a chance to know him. Um, when you get a chance to know somebody, like John F. Kennedy was sitting there with the Washington Post editor. I forgot his name, the legend. Ben Bradley. Uh, be Ben Bradley before he, before he was president. I'm sure Ben Bradley was pulling for JFK while still doing some critical things on him. I'm not saying I'm Ben Bradley and I'm not saying he's JFK, but I'm saying I did know him in a friendly way first, but I can't agree with all he does. Uh, but unfortunately, but, but you're I'm not answering my question. Right. When you get blasted, not by the president, but by, you know, oh, by the, your oh. viewers, do, how do you feel? It's about okay. That? I'm used to it. it. Most people, most, most people, nine out of every 10 things written about me is negative. 
So I'm surprised when a positive thing comes out, actually. Even like even <laughs> if I were you, I'd be surprised am... when something positive comes out, too. Chris Wallace, thank you so much. Can I just say one last quick thing? I know you're on a, a hard break and all that. I don't even believe there's such a thing as a hard break. I think it's just the way to get us off. So you end the show. I'm watching Fox and Trends. He said, and we're going to have this person and this person and Chris Wallace, who only works one day a week. Now, take it back. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> <just> Thursday, <laughs> I'm working. I take it back. I take it back. Okay. Back in a moment. All right. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 I appreciate all the emails I get. I'm going to try to get to some of them. Uh, in fact, here's one of them. Uh, this is from Susie. Susie says, what's up? If you die in a hospital, they put you down on your birth certificate as the virus. She believes they're overdoing uh, it. I know the answer. The hospitals get $390,000 for every person that dies in a hospital. If you say no, they will still put you down on your de- death certificate as the virus. Is there any honest people left? I think not. Thanks so much uh, for listening. That is Susie Cruz. No, I appreciate it, Susie. That's fine. Um, let's, uh, we have uh, some phone calls, too, but we don't have much uh, time to get to them, uh, unfortunately. The other thing that I want to discuss uh, just around the bend I'm going to discuss with Will Hurd is this Twitter situation. The president of the United States, as you know, they put some attachments on one of his tweets showing uh, a counterargument to what he's saying. And now they today, as early as today within our show, there's going to be an executive order that's going to be possibly removing the protections that social media like Twitter was getting from possible lawsuits because they were a host that allowed people a forum. Now they're commenting. And then they should be possibly held to the same standard as newspapers. Don't you think? I think so. They shadow ban you. Why don't you have legal uh, ramifications? If they decide to delete your tweets and you think they're wrong, why can't you legally go after them? Just like if it was a newspaper, TV, or radio. I'm Brian Kilmeade. When we come back, Will Hurd will be with us, and then we'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think President Trump, unlike the past two presidents, unlike the entire Washington establishment, who for 20 years put China's interests first and America's interests second, and in promoting China's interests, it was often at the expense of America's interests. I think President Trump has has really changed the conversation in the country, and he's changed the direction of American foreign policy. He's standing tough and standing tall against China. He did from the beginning. And I think that the the coronavirus has really, it really is a wake-up call. I mean, not to President Trump. He already knew there was a problem. Uh, That was uh, the former Deputy uh, Secretary, uh, Undersecretary, National Security Advisor. Joining us now is Congressman Will Hurd, former CIA guy, member of the House Appropriations and Intelligence Committee. Uh, Congressman Perilous Time, welcome back, by the way, from Texas. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks. Always a pleasure to be on with you, man. Yeah, same here. Uh, Congressman, I, I know I, I like that the president seems to be as early as, early as tomorrow going to start being more, even more aggressive with China. But I just wonder about the plan. Do you agree with the secretary of state that no longer is Hong Kong to be considered autonomous? 
Well, I, I don't think Hong Kong is uh, autonomous, um, and and this is a play by the Chinese. This is them testing out tactics, techniques, and procedures on what they're going to try to do to Taiwan. And and the question becomes: um, Is did they provoke the response that they want? Because if if we cut off relations with 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 Hong Kong and some of the businesses are there, um, that actually play, could potentially play into the hands uh, of the Chinese. What we want to be able to do is make sure we hit the mainland industrialists and and that our potential sanctions impact the mainland, uh, not necessarily Hong Kong. And and these are what some of the conversations that are that are going on in Washington D.C. right now on how do we make sure we focus on on the Chinese Communist Party, and, but to a point where we can still help the protesters in Hong Kong and the companies that are, that are operating in Hong Kong, because this is going to be the playbook that the Chinese are going to roll out when the time comes for them to try to take on t- Taiwan. Great point. And the other thing to bring up, too, is like you want to make a stand and say it's no longer going to be this international financial hub. But at the same time, you can't abandon these courage, these courageous freedom fighters that have been putting their lives on the line and relentlessly protesting for over a year now. These folks that are protesting are amazing. And, and you know what they're doing? They're carrying the American flag. They are, they are singing the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, they love uh, when, when uh, U.S. officials speak up. Um, these are folks that are truly putting themselves in harm's way. And the fact that they've been able to do this for the prolonged time, as you point out, Brian, is, is unbelievable. And our efforts should make sure that we're bolstering them, right? Because because we want to show to the rest of the world, we want to show to the Taiwan, uh, Taiwanese government um, that we're going to have their back because this is part of a geopolitical uh, a fight with the, with the Chinese. I know you've talked about this before, but I always have to reiterate it. The Chinese are trying to surpass the United States of America as the sole superpower in the world by 2049. 2049 matters because they'll be celebrating 100 years of, 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 of communist rule in, in mainland. They're trying to do this by dominating in future industries. They're trying to do this by dominating in their region. And now that they're using COVID-19 um, to supercharge some of their efforts, you see this increased uh, aggression by their diplomats. Um, they threaten the Australians. They threaten some of our European allies. They're trying to twist the WHO in, you know, to do things that the Chinese government wants them to do. And these latest steps on on what they're trying to do in Hong Kong is uh, is another example. And when this recent national security law was passed, there was one person that voted against it. I want to know who who that person was uh, because that's a that's a tough guy that's standing up against the entire uh, Chinese Communist Party. So this is a broader strategy that the Chinese have been working on for decades, right? And and we need to make sure that our response is is it counters that and we have to be using our allies and people in the region and and we're seeing uh, many of our allies getting frustrated and and the australians have been pretty vocal um about this you know i recently sent a letter to a bunch of uh, to all of the the um, embassies in Washington D.C. trying to get their support against the WHO, and I've gotten I've gotten feedback from every continent. I've gotten dozens of responses to say we agree with you. We're we're standing side by side with the U.S. to demand some of these answers. Right, and I think you, you what you're saying subtly is it's time for a more more coherent, cohesive strategy coming out of the State Department to rally people around our cause because. 
it's obvious we're on the right side of this. There's really, there's right and wrong. There's, I've poisoned 185 nations and I am a victim of that. And we are trying to fight back like everybody else. Uh, this, how we've been afflicted by a virus we had nothing to do with and they're still lying about it. And I think we're at the point now where there is really no flip side to that. So if we could do a better job at rallying our allies, that would help. And do you see the State Department realizing the urgency that you, you hear? Um, I, they're coming around to it. I will say uh, the U.S. ambassador that um, serves in, in, um, at the WHO and other international organizations, um, Ambassador Bernberg, he gets it. He is working on the ground to rally uh, those other, uh, those other uh, member states. And, and, and not only should we be rallying our allies, We should also be making sure that all levers of the federal government are working together. Everybody now knows of the China One Belt, One Road initiative, where they're using all parts of their society uh, to go out and get resources that they don't have in China and bring them back home. Uh, They do things like build ports for countries, and they do it in such a way that the country can't pay for it, and the Chinese take it over. They call this a debt trap. We should be making sure a State Department, USAID, Right, the OPIC or the new name of, of OPIC. This is an overseas um, investment that helps U.S. companies invest. Uh, we should be making sure all of those things are working together, so that these countries that that need help look to us and not to the Chinese. And the Chinese know that. That's why they're pushing disinformation on saying that the COVID-19 started in the U.S. or it came out of the military in Italy. They're trying to tell European nations, guess what? You can't trust the U.S. You can trust us. They're trying to erode that trust that our allies have in us because they know that if we put a posse together, uh, the the Chinese are not going to be able to achieve their goal of being the world superpower. Right. And pulling the manufacturing back, the Americans would uh, America would have a lot of support for, it, even if it means we're paying more money. Uh, I want you to hear what this guy, Zhao Lijian, said. He's a, a Chinese official. Cut 27. The Chinese government is determined in implementing the one country, two systems policy, safeguarding national sovereignty, security and development interests and opposing external interference in Hong Kong affairs. If there is anyone bent on harming China's interests, China will have to take all necessary measures to fight back. I just want to know, just before I leave this topic, can you go between the lines on that? In what way? It's it's a threat. It's saying that, uh, you know, even though uh, Hong Kong turns over to the Chinese government is supposed to be be independent for, I think, a remainder of 40 more years. Uh, we're taking it now. And we have the, the reason to do it. We have the ability to do it. And we dare you uh, to try to stop us. Right? That's, that's how you take gotcha. that. And, and that individual, uh, you, can, you can look at other um, uh, party instruments um, of the Chinese uh, Communist Party that have said similar things. All right, and um, I want to pivot to Afghanistan. We're pulling out. Um, we got about we got about eight thousand troops there, and as, well, he wants to be out by election days as the president. I personally feel, and it's easy for me to say, I'm not in Afghanistan. I get it, but I really see the benefit of being there. I think that attacks have been stopped, intelligence has been gathered because of our presence there, and I know for a fact, just looking at the interviews with the Taliban, they believe when we leave, it's a victory. It's very important not to give these extremists a victory. Having said that, most people disagree with me, Congressman. 
your years in the CIA. Have we benefited from our presence? We, we absolutely have benefited, right? And, and, and let's go back. Why are we in Afghanistan? We're in Afghanistan because on September 11, 2001, al-Qaeda attacked us. Right. And the worst attack on, on our homeland, you know, uh, in, in 2001. And it was plotted. It was developed. And the people that executed this trained in Afghanistan. That's why um, we we took the fight to the Taliban. We kicked, you know, we, we killed 75 percent of al Qaeda leadership in, in that region. And, and in, in December of 2001, when Kandahar fell, Kandahar is a city in, in southern Afghanistan, was kind of like the, the capital of the Taliban. Um, when that fell in December of 2001, there was only 400 Americans on the ground, 300 special forces, 100 CIA, and the world's greatest air force, the, the greatest air force the world had ever seen. That's how we were able to kill 75% of al-Qaeda leadership and push all the Taliban out. The, our, our presence in that country has fluctuated. I, I think the highest at some point was almost 100,000. Right? You'd have to fact check me on that exact number. And now out 8,000, I can say is a small footprint to ensure that Afghanistan does not become a, another, that becomes a, a failed state, right? It's, it's having difficulty right now to where al-Qaeda can come back. And guess what? We know from um, Pensacola, al-Qaeda is still trying to attack the United States. They're still trying to attack our homeland. So, you know, we, we need to be doing everything we can to push the Taliban back, and you're absolutely right. If you look at the, the um, press in, in Arabic, in the Middle East, they, the Taliban is, 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 is saying that they won, that this is a victory, and the U.S. pulling out is a sign that they don't support the Afghan, the Afghan government. So I don't think we should be pro pro projecting when we move or when we don't move, right? This is, this is going to give our adversaries an advantage. And in conversations I've had over the last few days, um, the, the Taliban is not honoring the so-called peace agreement, and I, and I, and I put air no. quotes uh, around, around peace agreement, right? And so they're not following what they said they were going to do, and to think that once we leave, they're going to go back and kick all the girls out of school. There's over a million girls in school. What's going to change Afghanistan is the fact that for the last decade, girls and women have been able to go to school, participate in the economy. That's what's making sure half of your uh, country is, is allowed to be productive, right? That's what's going to bring Afghanistan into the future. And we can have a small footprint to continue to train the Afghan Air Force, to continue to make sure that we're bringing the hammer down on groups like the Taliban and, 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 other, organi and other terrorist organizations that are operating there. And as, uh, what else we need to be doing is working and making sure the Pakistani government is, stops their support to, to groups like the, the Taliban. It's tricky. It's hard. You, We've paid a lot of life yeah. and treasure. Yeah. I just, I just know the president does, is not put it in stone. I know he's listened to people like you in the past and Lindsey Graham and others. I just hope he'd be open to hearing that, especially with your CIA background and now on the Intelligence Committee. Lastly, Congressman, I just want to know about Texas, not only uh, the district you represent, but others. How's the reopening going? Look, the, the reopening is, 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 is going well. People are showing that we can protect public health 
and 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 make sure the economy is going right people are still using masks but we're in restaurants up to 50 percent people are going to get their hair cut uh people you know are, are using the grocery stores uh we also know that um you know in my hometown of san antonio anybody can get tested right if you want a diagnostic task you don't have to have a reason you just got to call ahead to, to, to schedule a, a time right so we're seeing that that testing increase um, and and the, the city officials, the county officials working with state, you know, there's some minor disagreements here and there, uh, but people are able to get back to a, a, a level of normalcy and and get started. And and we're going to vote today, hopefully on a on a bill that 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 strengthens the PPP program, so small businesses are able to bring back even even more of of their employees. Yeah. And and we're making and that's health the key. decisions first and opening up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And that's the key. And uh, right, go ahead. No, but Brian, like, like one of the things that we need to do, and, and I've been supportive of an independent group of people to come in and review all of this that happened with COVID nineteen. Let's let's get through, uh, you know, where we are now. But it's going to require us to step back and, and review these. You know, what did we do? Why did we do it? And not just our response, the international community's response. And let's do a nine eleven style commission, right? I, I don't want politicians involved i want i want thoughtful serious people uh to sit down and review this so one we can be prepared when this happens again and and two make sure that we're resilient in in the future and and everybody keeps talking about a recovery right uh, that, that, to me that word means we're trying to go back to a place we were in the past i want advancement right like i want us to come out of this better and i think we can and, and my my state and, and lone star state is trying to lead on on how we can do that Absolutely. Make the PPP program more uh, business friendly. We know some of the changes. Talk to uh, uh, Congressman about that. Talk to Senator Rubio about that. Hopefully you guys will go in there and do it. Uh, Congressman Will Hurd, always appreciate it. Always great to talk to you. Hopefully you'll stay involved somehow uh, when you retire, at least from your seat. Congressman Will Hurd, thank Brian, you. Brian, the, the, these issues are important, and, I'm, and I'm, I love talking with you, and I'm glad you, you shine a light on these things. You got it, sir. Uh, back in a moment with your phone calls, one 408 You shine a light on what's important to you next. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The issue that the governor is bringing up, which I disagree with, is that, you know, somehow federal guidance said that you should put people who are COVID positive in a nursing home. And let me explain that a little further. What we say is that, yes, a nursing home will have COVID-positive people in the nursing home. And if somebody's coming out from a hospital, they can if they are prepared to handle the unique needs of that patient. So the guidelines require them to isolate the patient. It has to make sure that they're they're appropriately staffed. Uh, Anytime you discharge a patient from the hospital, it is the responsibility of the hospital to make sure that the patient is going to be safe when they discharge them. So if they're going home or if they're going to a nursing home. And Seema Verma was responding to Governor Cuomo saying, I went by the government, so the Trump administration guidelines, the CDC guidelines. She's saying, no, unless you can isolate that person, you can't. They were like a COVID positive 19 patients went back into nursing homes and 6,000 died. 
And Governor Cuomo wants to blame the Trump administration. Connie, listen on WABC in Westport, Connecticut. Connie. Hi. I want those 11 White House press corps reporters to know that POTUS has the authority of the First Amendment of the Constitution to override the governors to open up churches. We can, uh, we can congregate, speak, and worship according to the Constitution. They should read it sometime. Thanks, Connie. And listen to WABC New Jersey real quick, Ann. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we don't have enough time for that. But I thought Governor Cuomo yesterday, of course, he's very eloquent. He's very concise. He met with the president uh, and he said, New York needs this air, uh, this air train. We need this tunnel done and we need our second Avenue subway finished. At the same time, said, I don't talk politics, but Rick Scott is unpatriotic and a liar, as is Mitch McConnell. I'm not buying either one of them. His approval rating starting to drop. And now you're going to see why. Thanks. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Joe, and thank everyone for coming out with me on Instagram on my weekly uh, series talking about history at 1230 every Wednesday on Instagram Live. Uh, I was able to talk about Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. This week, though, I focused on Andrew Jackson. Uh, and next week, I'll focus on Lincoln. And I don't know if you guys are watching the History Channel's three-part series on Grant. I did not watch all of it. I'm halfway through. It is fantastic. You realize that they say that if you could put money on any figure in history that's going to grow in stature through time, put it on Grant. Uh, you know, we, got a, we did not really get a good description of him in school. The more you read about him, and I read Ron Chernow's book, too, the more you realize how extraordinary he was from very humble beginnings. Uh, also, if you want to subscribe to the Brian Kilmeade Show podcast, if you miss the show live, how can you go wrong? BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can get it on iTunes. You could get it also on Spotify uh, these days, too. And if you want to pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, just go to BrianKilmeade.com. I can get it personalized for a Father's Day. A lot to discuss. We have not even really discussed much about Twitter and what's happening that is going to affect everybody. And I think Twitter made a huge mistake. And I'll expand on that shortly. This hour, I'll talk to Charles Lipson, a professor at Political Science University of Chicago, regular commentator on Real Clear Politics. He wrote this column that is a constant refrain I get on weekends when I'm allowed to see people. What the Obamacare scandals mean and why they matter. That's the biggest thing. Even for the Trump supporters, should we really be going over this now? Yes. He'll tell you why. And Daniel Kaplan. The other big story is when sports coming back and what sport. Everyone has a different story. So why do I want to get an expert in just one? Daniel Kaplan is an expert. He's a sports business reporter at The Athletic, former sports business journal guy. Um, his article, uh, we're going to go through the, what the NFL is doing, what Major League Baseball is doing, what the MLS is doing, what happened with the XFL, uh, is indeed possibly coming back. Uh, and what about Mike Tyson coming back? He's got the latest in what it means financially and how bad it would be for baseball if they can't come up with a deal. Right now, baseball couldn't be further apart. If you've been around sports for a while, that should not surprise you. Remember, they canceled the World Series once. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Secretary Pompeo has to certify every year to Congress whether or not Hong Kong maintains its autonomy. And here we wake up to the Chinese with a very heavy hand. This is a big deal, and the secretary is to be yeah. uh, complimented for doing what he's done. And yes, that is John Huntsman, former ambassador to China, Russia, and now running for governor of Utah again. 
Hong Kong no more, the American-Chinese relationship hanging by a thread. We will bring you the latest. Number two. Twitter decided for the first time ever to fact check one of President Trump's tweets. I wondered if you thought that the Twitter may have made the wrong decision here. We have a different policy, I, I think, than Twitter on this. Facebook shouldn't be the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. That is Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, what a great interview Dana Perino did timing-wise. She'll have it in its entirety today at 2. Trump versus Twitter. How one so-called fact check could change social media forever, and perhaps it should. Number one. Now to the terrible toll of the coronavirus that we are waking up to headlines. It took just 16 weeks for the number of Americans killed by the pandemic to reach 100,000. Keep in mind 100,000 people, 100,000 family and friends are mourning today. Pandemic milestone no one wanted to cross. 100,000 dead, as you heard Gail King mention. Yet there is more hope than horror this, th- this Thursday. We'll bring you some cautious optimism, plus a major request from the hardest hit state. So we got uh, bad and expected numbers in for jobless claims, 2.1 million, but they're going down. Uh, we're getting more and more states standing up. All 50 are standing up. We have first state have zero cases, and that was Vermont. Good job. I think everyone could be picking up the pace a little, especially in places like New Hampshire. Why am I getting all these emails about New Hampshire? Open it up. Come on. Uh, governor, you're a great governor. To, uh, please give your people a chance to, to do something. Uh, and we want to find out uh, where we're at with this, uh, this fight on this virus. Keep in mind, 11 states pretty much have the bulk of the COVID deaths. New York has the most, 29,000. Missouri's got as low as 697. California, Gavin Newsom's death rate out of every 100,000 people in their state, 10 lost their lives. Same thing with Vermont. Uh, what about Governor DeSantis? Got so much blowback. He was slow to lock down, quick to unlock. The fatality rate, the same. 10 for every 100,000. Texas, 5 for every 100,000. That's ahead of Idaho. In terms of our country, Western European countries, in terms of fatality uh, case to fatality ratio, we're doing great compared to them. U.S. is about 5.9, uh, according to Johns Hopkins. Meanwhile, Spain, Sweden, and Netherlands double figures. U.K., Italy, France, and Belgium double figures. Belgium as high as 16.2%. Meanwhile, the stock market's going up. It's going up today. Uh, it continues up 11.8, so it's slightly, but it, we're up around 25,000, getting closer to 26. So they see something. Tourism industry is preparing for travel to pick up, of course. Signs of life for the restaurant industry. Open table data. I don't know if you use open table, but so many people do in their 20s. Shows that bookings are down 50% in some U.S. states compared to 100% last month. So it shows a 50% increase. I know it came from nowhere, but I'll take it. That gives hope to people in hospitality. And if people travel, they need hotels, they need cars. Um, We know Iowa, bars, wineries, distilleries open. Hawaii, outdoor activities approved. Uh, Sea life attractions open. Water parks are open. D.C., uh, the mayor lifts stay at home. Okay, good. In Maryland, statewide restrictions also easing uh, restaurant, outdoor dining, and safe, and, and safe youth sports. I don't know what they mean by safe. Las Vegas continue. Uh, casinos will open in a week. So that'll be good. Now, I think the biggest controversy is New York. Not only do New Yorkers like me, uh, are we in the middle of basically a lockdown through phase one on Long Island and some most others, New York City still shut down entirely? You're killing these people. Staten Island, shut down, just locked out. It's not okay. And don't say you have my safety in mind. Not at this point. You're not making me go to the dry cleaner, the florist, uh, the salon, 
or the restaurant, but I want the option. And you're not giving it. So Andrew Cuomo do nothing but complaining. So the governor, a brilliant communicator, I think his leadership's been fine. But if you actually probe what he's doing, the numbers are horrendous. Says it's not his fault. Why should it be? Um, he says they all came from Europe and no one told us. Okay. You told us, don't worry about it. That really matters. You don't speak to the mayor. That doesn't help. You contradict him all the time. I think most of the time, about 50% of the time you're right, but we all lose because you guys can't get on the same page. But the governor didn't waste any time blaming people who want to take our time in writing more checks to states. Cut nine. They're against redistribution of wealth. That's what they'll all say. I'm against redistribution. Yeah, you're against redistribution unless you're taking money. Then it's fine. It's not redistribution when you're taking money. Yeah, I know how convenient that is, right? So then he goes and says he doesn't play politics. But guess who he goes after? Cut 10. The House bill has funding for state and local government. And you heard my comments. I know what the Republican senators are saying. And first of all, it's a lie. It's a lie. I know that's a strong word. It's a lie. But it's, they're lying. When Senator McConnell says, uh, and Senator Scott says, Laffer says, why should we give New York, California more money? That's a lie. They know that they take more money. Okay, here's the problem. So you get Medicaid, you get Medicare, you pay into a system that is extremely high taxed. And what happened is when he first took office, New York had more people than Florida. Now New now Florida has 40 million. Uh, they have more people than uh, New York. So they are somebody who per capita gets more representation in Congress. They went out and they paid down their bills because Governor Scott did it. Every state has different hurdles to clear. They cleared it in Florida, and they had to have a rainy day fund. Andrew Cuomo keeps jacking up the taxes. As he loses people, he jacks up more taxes. And he taxes these horrible people called the wealthy. And he jacks up uh, 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 land rates, excuse me, residential home rates. So we have, uh, we have residential taxes that are going up, state taxes that are going up. So people leave. And that makes things worse. And he does things like, Becoming a sanctuary state, so we're actually funding illegals to be here and stay here and don't cooperate with ICE. There's, every time you say, hey, you got uh, to cut the budget, he goes, yeah, firefighters and cops. You have more on the budget than firefighters and cops. And I don't know why lawmakers are getting their full, pay, uh, their full pay. Everybody else is cut back and shared sacrifice. You're not really working. He's doing all the work. The legislature's just a rubber stamp. Why don't you even volunteer uh, state legislatures to give up some money? So that's what Governor Cuomo's saying. But there was some blowback with that because he does have money. He got $9 billion that he lost. He also got a stand-up hospital in a USNS Comfort. He got a stand-up hospital in the Javits Center. He got over 400,000 masks and the N95 masks, uh, almost a billion surgical masks, 353,000 gloves, uh, 145,000 gowns. You get it. His approval rings at 73% because he's a good communicator. It's at 61%. How does he handle the nursing homes where he lost 6,000 people? Only 44% approve. When more comes out on this, I think his approval is going to drop substantially. And I don't want to take too much time away from uh, Charles Lipson, because we talk a little about Flynn. 
But I just do want to talk just briefly uh, about what's happening with Twitter. Yesterday, the president tweeted out that he, he says fraud will happen when, when you have mail-in ballots. Says it differently, but that's it. So Twitter said, that's it. I'm putting two clips, news clips, attaching it to your tweet that has a counter view. Washington Post, CNN. President went crazy on that. Because no longer you host as a social media place. You're a place where people sound off, you don't sound off. The minute you start sounding off, then you could lose your exemption status. Then you could be wide open to lawsuits. The executive order could come out within our show that could change the complexion of media. And guess who might be on board? Democrats and Republicans. Because if you're going to be a newspaper, then say it. If you're going to be a place where people can sound off, then be it. You cannot have it both ways. This is the biggest mistake any social media company ever made. Because they did it to the president. They can't possibly keep their standard. And if you look at who makes up that organization, they have no goal to be fair and balanced. When we come back, we find out why Obamagate matters from a man that knows. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. John Durham, as part of his investigation, had been looking at the issue of unmasking, and the attorney general determined that certain aspects of unmasking needed to be reviewed separately as a support to John Durham's investigation. So he tapped John Bash, one of our U.S. attorneys out of Texas, to do just that. And, Sean, obviously, uh, we know that unmasking inherently isn't wrong, but certainly uh, the frequency, the motivation, and the reasoning behind unmasking can be problematic. And when you're looking at unmasking as part of a broader investigation, like John Durham's investigation, looking specifically at who was unmasking whom can add a lot to our understanding about motivation and big picture events. That was Kerry Kupek, who's a uh, Department of Justice Communications Director. Joining us now is Charles Lipson, who answers the question I get most often when I leave Fox circles, uh, what the Obamacare scandals means and why they matter. Charles, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Brian, what a pleasure. Well, I appreciate you saying that from the University of Chicago. Charles, so a lot of people say, well, let's let it go. It's over. That's four years ago. We'll try to win re-election. Why do you believe it's important to find out what happened leading up to and after, uh, after 2016? Um, that's, that's the big important question. And the problem, as you, uh, I think, well know, and your uh, listeners well know, is that there are so many details that it's really easy to get lost uh, about all of these. Yep. But what I say is that there are three really big scandals here. And uh, one of them is not well known. It is that the National Security Agency, uh, which basically scoops up all the phone calls and emails and messages everywhere uh, and gets uh, has metadata on them, was trolled by FBI contractors, not even FBI agents, but FBI contractors without any uh, warrants. And those, uh, that trolling was able to uh, allow them to target 
uh, people for the FBI. Uh, it was eventually uncovered and stopped. And uh, then, uh, the, as, as we know, there was a counterintelligence um, effort launched against the Trump campaign by the CIA and part of the FBI without any... It's not been proven basis. yet, though, right? Would That's you say it's not, not been proven? proven? Uh, well, it's been proven that there was such a thing. It's not been proven that it was illegal. Uh, uh, what... Uh, what will prove it was illegal is whether or not uh, not only procedures were violated, but laws, and uh, whether or not there was any real basis to do it. If they could just say, you know, gee, we don't like Brian Kilmeade, something that, of course, all of us agree on, then uh, <laughs> they could go right after you. But they have to have a reason. And so a couple of after, things. You say, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Brian. Well, a couple of things, and you talked about that. Yep. If, uh, if For the CIA to play a role, the one, one mm -hmm. of their key roles would have been overseas, using Ambassador Downer to go find out what Papadopoulos was up to, find out exactly. this guy Joseph Mifsud, that professor who evidently was retained by the CIA to be used. So if those people were put into, in, put into play, that had to come from the CIA because they do the international work. That's exactly right, and uh, but if they were being outsourced to do this, to spy on American citizens without any legitimate basis, although I'm not a lawyer, I understand that would be illegal. You can't work around our laws by simply saying to some foreign agency, you go spy on Americans and then give us the information. And if that's what happened, then the name of the Americans would be masked when it was handed back, and then Samantha Powers or Susan Rice or people at the Treasury would say, okay, just unmask that name. And that seems to be what happened. And one of the key moments you talk about is Mike Rogers. He's head of the NSA. He found out the NSA was being weaponized against the Trump team. And they stopped it. And when they stopped it, when he stopped it, they had to use the FBI again. Under a minute left, Charles, what are your thoughts? That's exactly right. So why do all of these things matter? The first is that the, the spying on the Trump campaign attacks pillars of our constitutional democracy, that elections should be free and fair, not corrupted by the party in power. And second, that law enforcement and intelligence should never be used as partisan instruments. That's what you've said. The NSA scandal goes to the heart of our Fourth Amendment protections against search and seizure. That's why these are a big deal. Tell your students at the University of Chicago it matters. Uh, Charles Whipson, thanks so much. Read this story, what the Obamacare scandals means and why they matter. Answer all those questions, all those skeptics out there that might be in, might be in your circle of friends or your family. Thanks, Charles. I'll talk to you again soon. When we come back, we talk about sports. What's opening up and when? Daniel Kaplan of The Athletic. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Y'all gotta understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. It's a shorter season, less pay. Like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine, okay? And that's just the way it is for me, like, 
I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Pitcher? Blake Snell, outstanding pitcher with the Tampa Bay Rays, saying I'm not taking a pay cut to come back and play baseball in an 82-game season. Uh, you can negotiate all you want. If baseball doesn't come back, they'd be slitting their own throat, uh, at least not make the effort. Will they be alone? Let's talk to Daniel Kaplan about that, sports business reporter at The Athletic, did a great job with Sports Business Journal for years. Daniel, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So it went from a dead period to a very exciting, intriguing period, I think. Baseball first. Uh, right now, these are at loggerheads. Do the owners have leverage over the players? If the players want to get paid, they sure do. Uh, the, we heard what Blake Snell said. Max Scherzer said something similar uh, in the last 24 hours. Uh, the, the players who are making the most money, obviously, would get the biggest cut from the MLB proposal, and they don't like that. But the MLB, I've heard there's certain teams out there looking for loans. Uh, it's a bad situation for a lot of these teams if there are not going to be any fans in the stands. True. So do, you, do the players get paid if they don't play? No, the players do not get paid if they don't play. Uh, they, that's, that's what's being negotiated now. I mean, obviously, if there's no games, they don't get paid. There's a, there's, there was, there's a provision in the MLB collective bargaining agreement that gives the commissioner the right to invalidate these contracts if a national emergency is declared, which has occurred. Uh, it's similar to the force majeure contract in the NBA, CBA. So uh, the players, if, if they want to get paid, they have to, they have to play. 82-game season, 30-man active roster, 20-player taxi squad, 14 teams in the postseason with games played in home cities in October. They could somewhat get on schedule if they started soon. So if they were to, uh, basically the higher – could you explain this in layman's terms, Dan? The higher-paid players will take the biggest cut. So this in one way could have the the everyday player turning on the high-paid player because they're not forced to take as big a cut. Why are the richest players take the biggest cuts? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's similar to what ha- unfolded in the NFL CBA talks when their proposal advantaged the lower-paid lower players more than the higher-paid players, and there was this dissension within the ranks. And perhaps you will start to see that within Major League Baseball Players Association. But, I mean, clearly those players making $30, $40 million would, who would now make, say, 10 or $15 million, they can clearly more afford that proportionate pay cut than someone making a million or $800,000. So basketball now, let's switch to the NBA. They were the first major sports team to stop playing, a uh, league to stop playing. Uh, what do you hear is the latest deal? The last one I heard was ESPN's Wide World of Sports uh, with their big campus might be the site for all the teams. Is that possible without fans? Uh, that is uh, that is distinctly possible. That is what they are looking at. Uh, there's uh, talk about whether all the teams would actually go back, particularly the ones that are at the lower lower end of the uh, the standings. Uh, there's been proposals about playing games to get into the playoffs, uh, but uh, r- right now it looks very promising that it will be Disney World. And the the theory is. Players don't want to travel. Excuse me, it's too dangerous to travel. You might get this. They've been hit hard by the virus. They don't want to travel. They keep everyone in the same place. You don't need people in the stands. And we'll get to the playoffs because they're pretty much almost through the regular season. Uh, A lot of teams who are not in the playoffs 
Some players are saying, I don't want to play if I'm not going to be in the playoffs, like Damon Lillard. Kendrick Perkins, former player, now with ESPN, said this. Cut 42. Early June, we're going to have our training facilities. I don't blame Dame. I'm with Dame Dollar on this one. When you think about Dame, he's been a winner ever since he stepped foot into the NBA. And it's the problem that I have. You have guys that, this guy's an eight-year veteran. And the only thing on his mind is winning. And he don't want to play meaningless games. Veterans don't want to play for a constellation bracket. Your thoughts on that? To me, play. It's not my fault your team sucks. Yeah, I mean, uh, players live in their own universe. That, that's, I think that much is clear from this conversation we're having about various sports. Uh, the, it's about putting content on television for people to watch and sell advertising, uh, sell cable subscriptions, things of that nature. So whether a team is in the playoffs or not is really inconsequential in, in that scenario. And they are talking about some type of playing game for the, for the terrible teams like the Knicks that maybe have some type of shot at getting in uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, do you think, Dan, they are, they are going to play? And might they just say, uh, the way we left it, we're going to start the playoffs, whoever's in, whoever's in is in, whoever's not in is not in. Would they ever just well, do playoffs? The NHL is doing a 2014 playoff. They, they've, they've essentially said uh, they, they want to do a 2014 playoff. They've said they, they will not complete the regular season, and they'll go if they play to a 24-team regular season. Uh, the NBA seems intent on uh, finishing its regular season. They may give that up, uh, particularly given some of the reactions we just heard. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's hard to see. I mean, this changes by the day, but I would fully expect the NBA to be playing in Orlando. Uh, interesting, with no fans. No, definitely no fans. I mean, we're, we're seeing that across the board, whether it's NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball. There's no fans. And the NFL, interestingly, they've come out and said they expect to be playing before fans when they, when they start playing in September. Very interesting. So we'll see. Uh, NHL now. Gary Bettman on. Uh, Gary Bettman was on uh, a show recently on the Today Show. Excuse me. Cut forty four. Early June, we're going to have our training facilities open because our players haven't been able to work out or skate, so they want to get back in shape. And then when we get the sense that they're ready, and we get the sense as to how long we need for training camp. We'll move to the training camp phase, probably at some point in July. We don't want to be pinned down to specific dates because, as everybody knows, things are changing almost daily. So 24 of the league's 31 teams will resume play. Do the Canadian teams want to play? The Canadian teams want to play, but there's talk about the Vancouver team, for example, training in the U.S. because of quarantine issues. Uh, look, Brian, this is... It gets very complicated with the NHL when you have international uh, border crossings in this in this era. But the U.S. the State Department did just give permission for all foreign athletes to uh, bypass quarantine to enter enter the country. They declared that foreign athletes essential workers, which you know for NHL, NBA, even even for tennis, if it wants to get back going, there's a summer swing. It's a big deal. Um. Let's go to the NFL now. They've been speaking the most optimistic by far of playing, and they say we're, we're not ruling out fans in September. Uh, they have a plan B and a plan C, but unlike college football, they pretty much committed to playing. I guess they can't control a second wave. 
But Dan Kaplan, what do you think? They look. They want to play. Um, they, you know, it's it's funny. They're they're the league that probably could most afford not to play. Their broadcast money is guaranteed whether they play or not. Uh, so much of their revenue comes from broadcast uh, as opposed to local revenue. But they seem they ever since this broke out during their free agency period, they they've been intent on going about business as as much as usual as possible. They did the draft remotely course they've had virtual training camps uh they expect training camps to open in july uh it, they're, they're just going about business as usual they they release the schedule uh they release they sold they're selling season tickets in fact uh, season tickets group sales uh individual game tickets they, they, they're all selling pretty well wow interesting the nfl players association i'm not so optimistic jc treader tweeted out on tuesday he's their president Players, our union has not agreed to any reopening plan. Any reports about coming back to work are hypothetical. You will hear from the NFL, NFLPA when there are new developments. So we know they've always had OTAs and they report to training camp. We got their preseason games. So far, they basically go back to the 1970s, show up in camp. We just don't know when camp will start. And as you mentioned, they're financially uh, more solvent than most. So let's just go over finances now. Can baseball afford to not to play at all? Well, Will they lose baseball, money by playing? Baseball can cannot afford to play under the players' proposal that they put in yesterday, which is more than 82 games, prorated salaries. So the per, the percentage you get, you get your if you were getting eight million over 162, you get four million over 82. Baseball can't afford that if there's no fans in the stands. Uh, it, the, the local revenue accounts for anywhere between 60 and 70 percent of of a baseball of a baseball team's revenues. Whereas in the NFL, it's the invert inverted on that. So if if this if this continues, where the baseball players continue to insist on getting prorated salaries, there will be no baseball. And this is the league that canceled the World Series in '94. They're willing to do stupid stuff. Very powerful union uh, that is very stubborn. But as A-Rod came out and spoke, and Mark Teixeira said, came out and spoke and says the country needs it. Is, uh, and they got blowback for saying it. They're right. Could the owners be giving, could the owners give in a little more? I mean, I suppose the owners could give in a, in a little more. Um, I think what they should do is fully open their financials to the players. The players obviously do not trust the owners, uh, e- even though you can see empty seats. Uh, if there's no one in the stands, that's clearly money's not coming in. But the owners have been uh, very secretive about their financials. Uh, they should set up a process to share it with the players for the sake of getting baseball back. And Scott Boris, the powerful agent, is getting some blowback, too, because maybe he has too much sway in the league because he has the most expensive, high-paid, and often the best players. Maybe he's got too much pull, getting a lot of non-clients upset. But I want to move on and talk about two other issues, Mike Tyson and the XFL. The XFL showed so much promise, and I'm biased. My son worked there, and they, we got to see the defensive coordinators calling the plays, the offensive coordinators calling the plays, instant interviews after someone scored a touchdown. I like some of the innovations. I also love the idea of players getting an opportunity that weren't ready for the NFL. What do you hear about this league when, shockingly, because of the pandemic, Vince McMahon collapsed it? 
Well, the Vince McMahon collapsed it, threw it into bankruptcy, uh, and then uh, was going to make an offer uh, to buy it out of bankruptcy with the hopes of relaunching it. Uh, the creditors of the XFL took, did not like how he was going about it, filed some motions in the bankruptcy court last week that accused him of rigging the process. Uh, he this week pulled out of the process, but in so doing, disclosed that the investment banker hired uh, by the XFL to sell it uh, has over two dozen bids. Now, I don't know if that's just that's just talk, uh, but uh, he, he claims in these in these court motions, these court papers, that there are agencies, there are media companies, there are wealthy individuals, all interested in not only buying the XFL but relaunching it in 2021. That would be uh, that would be something. Just I uh, was there listening to my son go through the motions of the new rule changes. Found it very intriguing. Um, saw a lot of talent there. Mike Tyson's making a lot of hay by a 53, probably being drug and alcohol free for the first time, even through his career. Uh, looks really good. Looks ripped. He actually has a better build than I do. I'm not sure. I need a third opinion. Uh, but at 53 years old, he's showing combinations and talking about possibly coming back to a degree. We know he's had financial problems in the past. Could this happen? I mean, anything's any, anything's possible in boxing. Uh, <laughs> it's not the sport I follow the most and, and most familiar with, but uh, it, you know, a Mike Tyson pay-per-view would probably be through the roof. Uh, it's uh, I remember when George, remember what was it twenty years ago when George George Foreman would come back and fight in his fifties. Yeah. So, Anything, you know, and those were highly paid PPV, pay-per-view events. So, you know, whether Mike Tyson can indeed fight or not is probably not the question. The question is whether it will sell, and I have no doubt it would sell. I actually have questions whether he can fight or not because he looks so bad at the end. Uh, But Tyson Fury, who is the the behemoth champion right now, said that the Tyson, Mike Tyson camp reached out to them, but they haven't heard back yet. Uh, Tyson Fury is actually named... After Mike Tyson, he would be a bad matchup for a guy that's 5'11". Tyson Fury is like 6'7", 6'8". So I'm not sure that would work. Lastly, Fox Sports, uh, Fox, um, Sports as well as Fox Sports 1, as well as ESPN, have had to have 24-hour programming without sports. How have they done? Do you have any idea of how much money they've lost? Well, they, they they get their the bulk of their money from subscription fees, and those uh, other than the cord cutting around the edges, they've not seen a drop off there. Uh, advertising, yes, is, revenue is down, and this has become a controversial issue. People are paying cable subscriptions, the bulk of which goes towards sports, and there's been no sports, and there's been no refunds for that. And that, that, that has become a very, you know, very heated issue. But in terms of ESPN, Fox Sports 1, and all these regional sports channels, uh, they continue to reap in subscription fees, subscriber fees, without showing sports. Uh, Dan, you have a real handle on the finances of it, and that's what it's going to be about to see if these leagues can actually launch. Uh, it's going to be an exciting time instead of a shutdown time very shortly. Daniel Kaplan, he writes a sports business reporter for The Athletic. Thanks so much, Dan. You can follow him at Kaplan Sports Biz. That's B-I-Z. Daniel Kaplan, thank you. Thank you. You got it. When we come back, all about you, one 408 7669 Your call's next. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Hey, welcome back, everyone. That was just so great to talk a little bit of sports. I know it's not the excitement of Bob Costas, but Dan Kaplan's got the information that almost nobody else has because he goes into the backgrounds of, uh, of the sports and what it makes economically. And I wish we were in a situation where it was all about competition, but it is all about economics. And by the way, if the MLS doesn't come back, we didn't discuss this, uh, they might go under as well as they've done. So something else happened yesterday we have not got to, and the SpaceX uh, launch was scrubbed. It was the first time we're going to have manned flight in nine years. Big news. It's going to save us a ton, ton of money. Plus, it's a private venture backed by NASA. Here is Douglas Brinkley on what it's going to mean to go back to space. Uh, he was on the story last night because it's going to actually have the next launch. It'll be Saturday since Thursday, Wednesday was scrubbed. Cut 41. We've been using to go to our International Space Station Russian rockets. We've been, uh, China went to the dark side of the moon. There's been a feeling that America's space supremacy has been eroding. Uh, but alas, the fact that we now can perhaps have reusable rockets that could bring astronauts to the International mm-hmm. Space Station, uh, it leads to uh, going back to the moon with women astronauts, maybe having a moon base, and eventually really um, going to Mars, and most importantly, putting satellites up one after the other. So this is the beginning of a new era of space. It's sort of the closing of the, if you like, the elongated Apollo space shuttle era. It'll be great, and I just can't wait for it Saturday. I've never saw more people pumped up for something totally different, and that was at SpaceX launch. And it looks so cool with the new suits, uh, with the launch, and I love the fact that the capsule will be able to come back after docking with the space station, which will take, I think they say, um, 19 hours, 19 days. I'll figure it out. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.